afternoon. Good to have you. Another busy day across a lot of different fronts here. And I think we start with the UAW because that was some pretty shocking news last night that the union called on 8,700 workers at Ford Motor Company's Kentucky truck plant to stand up as the union expanded their strike efforts. It was an unexpected move, at least to to maybe everybody outside union negotiators and the union top brass. But as we enter now twenty the 28th day of this strike, now 34,000 big three UAW workers on the picket lines. And, and certainly this one is going to hurt Ford. UAW President Sean Fain saying on X, here's to hoping talks with Stellantis today are more productive than Ford yesterday. He also talked a little bit about why this decision was made that went into the, 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 the thought process on going through and, and, and calling up these auto workers to strike now instead of waiting till perhaps tomorrow and during a press conference. Unfortunate that the company's put us in this position, but uh, they made it happen. It's on them. They have to own it. You know, we've been doing things a certain way. Every Friday we've been doing Facebook Live updates to make announcements. So we had to choose to do things differently this way, and that's what we've done this time. So the good thing about this is a flexible option, so we had to make a decision. The companies aren't going to come to the table and take care of the membership's needs. Then we will react to the bargaining committees and vice presidents, and the membership are staying united, and that's how we're going to get this done. Very tasteful choice of music behind that video as well in the UAW uh, video that they posted on Twitter. Because, look, it, this is getting, it's dramatic. This is getting intense. It, it is now ramping up to where Ford, you, you look at what they built at this Kentucky truck plant, the F-Series Super Duty trucks, the Expedition, the Lincoln Navigator, that that plant generates alone about $25 billion in revenue each year for the Blue Oval. So uh, huge news as now thousands more workers join this stand-up strike that the UAW has rolling. And and we'll talk to Kaylee Hall uh, with the Detroit News coming up in just a moment. Um, But I, I do wonder if this decision... And I think you read between the tea leaves and you look at what GM did late last week. Maybe Ford isn't as willing to add these EV battery plants to the national bargaining agreement. But we'll talk to Kaylee Hall coming up at 218. Uh, In the meantime, the number of Americans killed in the Hamas terror attacks in Israel and the number of U.S. hostages is up this hour. We can now update the number of Americans that we know have been killed uh, to 27. And the number of unaccounted for stands today at 14. That is John Kirby, the National Security Council Coordinator for Strategic Communications. Meanwhile, you've got Secretary of State Antony Blinken in Israel meeting with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and the families of some of the Americans killed or taken hostage in the attack. And at a press conference just a little while ago, Blinken reiterated that the U.S. is doing everything they can to secure the release of these hostages. He also talked about the U.S. and the Qatari government agreeing to block Iran from accessing any of the $6 billion it granted access to as part of that prisoner swap between the United States, the Biden administration, and Tehran last month. None of the funds 
that have now gone to Qatar have actually been spent or accessed in any way uh, by Iran. Indeed, funds from that account are overseen by the Treasury Department, can only be dispensed for humanitarian goods, food, medicine, medical equipment, and never touch Iranian hands. Well, and, and I think that's all well and good. I think that's the proper move to make at this juncture. But again, I, I think if, if you know, Danielle, I give you five bucks to go to the store to buy a gallon of milk and you spend a different $5 bill, well, it's still money and you're still using it to buy something. So, I, you, you know, spare me that this, this money is only to be used for for humanitarian efforts when, when money's money and you could spend it on really whatever you want. Um, Blinken also discussed with Israeli officials ways to address the humanitarian needs of people living in Gaza, as he called it, to protect them from harm while the Israeli while Israeli forces conduct its legitimate security operations. We also talked about possibilities for safe passage for civilians who want to leave or want to get out in Gaza. And that is a conversation, a discussion that we will pursue in the coming days. So that is obviously top of mind uh, as well. Meanwhile, Gaza being pummeled by Israeli airstrikes, there won't be any electricity, water or fuel, according to Israeli energy minister uh, Israel Katz, until the hostages being held by Hamas are returned. The U.N. saying in a statement that. The residents of Gaza have lived under unlawful blockade for 16 years and condemned this further tightening of the blockade. Which is an interesting statement uh, from the U.N. In the meantime, there is another tool in the fight against the crushing wave of fentanyl overdoses in this country. WJR Senior News Analyst Marie Osborne here to report on a slew of other drugs on the market that do the same thing, but it will make a difference in the end. Hello, Marie. Hello, Chris. Uh, yeah, last year, there were more than 107,000 drug overdose deaths, according to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. More than two-thirds of those they were linked to fentanyl and opioids. So this is a very big problem. The FDA has approved a new drug. It's called OPV to reverse the effects of these drugs. What makes it stand out, though, is how it works, its potency. People who overdose on fentanyl may need several doses of naloxone to recover. That's the previous uh, group of drugs that help deal with this. But the effects of Opvi can last for hours as opposed to just a couple of hours. So it makes a really big difference. Opvi is a nasal spray version of the drug, nalmenthine, and it works by blocking opioid receptors in the brain to quickly reverse the effects of an overdose. You need a prescription for it. The price is between $75 and about $98. Private insurers don't cover it, at least not yet. Now, there are critics of this new, longer-lasting drug. Some experts say that it can cause fentanyl addicts to experience withdrawal symptoms like body aches, diarrhea, nausea, vomiting, and stomach cramps, so they're afraid people aren't going to want to use it. Now, while the injectable naloxone or Narcan can trigger withdrawal symptoms, they will quickly pass. Opioid users worry that these symptoms with this other drug might linger. 
and that may be a problem. The U.S. Uh, Department of Health and Human Services, by the way, if you want to know how expensive it is to bring some of these drugs to market, um, they issued a $10 million and a $7 million grant on research that supported the development of this new drug, Obvi. They, they are thinking that this is more the way to go to treat uh, drug overdoses. Mm. Well, there's no doubt. I mean, th- this has been a huge issue for a long time. So as long as we continue on this path to try to to mitigate these, as you mentioned, thousands of deaths, uh, I-, I think everybody's for it. Marie Osborne, thank you very much. Thank you. Coming up uh, next, we will talk with Kaylee Hall, the automotive reporter at the Detroit News, one of many there. And, and there are uh, obviously concerns with Ford now being targeted unexpectedly by one of the most profitable facilities. We'll talk about that next as we continue on on JR Afternoon. Well, the UAW, and and Sean Fain in particular, has been very clear that their goals are to earn the best contracts for the rank and file that they can, keep the automakers on their toes, and and, and really use the element of surprise when it comes to this stand-up strike. Well, I I think the latter part of that is being accomplished by Sean Fain. With now 8,700 workers at Ford's most profitable facility, the Kentucky Truck Plant, are now part of this strike, now making some 34,000 rank-and-file UAW workers uh, now joining the picket uh, picket lines. Kaylee Hall is a reporter with the Detroit News. Uh, on this strike. Uh, Kaylee, it's good to have you. Was this as big of a surprise to you as it was to us? Because, you know, generally we've been waiting for those Friday Facebook Live updates. And and last week, to be fair, there was some some big news as those negotiations with General Motors came down to the wire and, and said that that there was some big movement, particularly on the EV battery front. But there was nobody added to that uh, strike at that moment. Now we get to last night, and it caught everybody by surprise. Yeah, I mean, uh, yes, we were definitely, <laughs> I was in the room with my colleague, Jordan, who covers for, and we both gasped when we saw the UAW tweet. <laughs> and the, um, they ex- actually did end up deleting the tweet. The tweet said that they were sending folks on strike at Kentucky Truck. Um, but I think they just sent it out a little too early. That was the intention was to send them out, but they were giving their local folks more time. Yeah, it was definitely surprising because we've seen the most uh, affording. I mean, meaning that they have the best offer on the table, as far as we know. Wage uh, going from eight year uh, progression to get to the top wage to three. So yes, it was surprising, but I do think that there's a couple sticking points and. You know, the UAW so they took out KTP, which is obviously, as you said, most probable super duty. Um, Ford's largest plant connected to so many other plants. In fact, at 2.30, you're going to have a, a press conference in detail just what this does to their entire operation. Kaylee, um, I'm going to put you on hold here real quick. We're having some difficulties with your phone. Uh, we'll, we'll reconnect with Kaylee momentarily. But but I think for me, when you read between the tea leaves, right, and you look at what happened last Friday, and the 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 discussion from Sean Fain was, hey, big movement on GM's front. GM has agreed to add battery uh, GM, uh, EV battery facilities to the national bargaining agreement. 
which means those workers that are going to that are going to be doing the the jobs in those plants are going to be UAW workers. That is a huge get for the union. And Sean Fain really lauded General Motors for that. And 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 I think kind of maybe a shot across the bow to Ford and Stellantis saying, "Well, now you got to you got to meet us there too." Because I think that is a big component to, to, to these negotiations. Now, the other part of it, conversely, I wonder if with the target of Arlington, the UAW is targeting Arlington. That's where they build the Yukon, the, uh, the, the Tahoes, the Escalades, so big money makers for General Motors. So as soon as Sean Fain said, look, we're gonna, we're, we'll strike Arlington if, if you don't give us this. And that would have really hurt General Motors, so that maybe threw them over the edge. For Ford, this is kind of a similar plant. A huge moneymaker, huge in-demand vehicles are produced there, whether it's the the, the Super Duty trucks, the F-Series, the Expeditions, the Lincoln Navigators. Those are are big-time money-making vehicles for Ford. And so for, for the UAW to say to Ford, well, uh, we're gonna we're gonna go after one of your white whales too, and if Ford isn't biting, well, then that's an entirely different situation altogether. If you want to weigh in on this, eight hundred eight five nine zero nine five seven eight hundred eight five nine zero WJR, because I I think what the UAW is doing now, at this stage of negotiations, at this stage of the strike, is now. Yep, we can strike the Wentzville plant. We can strike, you know, sh- uh, the the Illinois stamping plant. We we can hit all these plants. But once we start going after the big stuff, that's when it's really going to hurt. And so for me, I think this thing really starts to ramp up at this stage. Look, I told you if this gets done before Halloween, I was going to be very happy. I was going to be I, I thought that was the time frame. Just based on the rhetoric, based on how Sean Fain was talking about these negotiations, breaking of certain traditions, and and really the bulldog kind of mentality that he brought to the bargaining table. And so now the UAW is going to really start twisting the knife. Now the UAW is really going to start applying some pressure. And whether or not these EV battery facilities are the breaking point, whether or not these particular facilities are a non-negotiable for the UAW, I think now you're going to start seeing you're going to you're going to start seeing the UAW target facilities now, like the Kentucky truck plant. Kaylee Hall rejoins us. I I, I I don't know if you caught that, but for me, the UAW just reading between the tea leaves, Kaylee. Yeah. The, the the idea that General Motors was being targeted in the Arlington facility, that's the Tahoe, the Yukons, yes. the Escalades, and, and they brought that to the table and GM said, okay, we'll give you the EV battery production. Okay, great. The UAW came out, lauded GM, and they didn't add anybody to that, that round uh, last Friday. And now you look here, it's kind of similar. Big money mm-hmm. makers for Ford, the F-Series uh, F Super Duties, the Expeditions, the Lincolns. And 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 if Ford didn't bite here, which is kind of my assumption reading between the tea leaves, that's why G, the, the UAW went ahead and said, OK, well, if you're not going to give us the EV battery production, we're going to go after this whale. Yeah, and I don't I don't know that they're going to specifically say that because we understand the plants can't be they can't really strike over the battery plants because battery plants are joint ventures and they they are not. They don't even exist at this point. Correct. So, um, but just in terms a, of 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 what the UAW wants, yeah. I think that's that's obviously a priority for them. 
I mean, look, of course it is. Yeah, they they need to secure the union's future, and at the same time, they you know they they need to secure more uh, more electric vehicle jobs um, mm-hmm. because that's what we're in. We're in this transition, so. Um, I think, yes, it is a priority, though I don't know that they're going to say that's why. But what they're saying right now is it's like the economics, right? They want to see better offers from the company. And we do know that uh, from the companies and we we do know that, you know, where they stand on on things. They want to see into tiers, very significant wage increases over 30 percent range. And uh, we aren't there yet. So, um, you know, it's definitely an escalation on Ford's part. I, I would I wouldn't be surprised if we see a further escalation at GM and Stellantis come tomorrow at 10 a.m. when President Fain gets on Facebook and does another Facebook Live. But we'll see. Um, I know they're meeting right now, and um, we don't have any headline news out of those meetings, but they are still talking. So. Uh, and Sean Fain also said in one of those videos that they posted on X that that the the deal that Ford presented to them this week was the same one that they presented two weeks mm-hmm. ago. And yeah. so I, I think from the union's perspective, that's frustrating. But maybe Ford is taking the approach that and, and they've been pretty st- steady uh, uh, across these negotiations is they need to remain flexible enough where they want to reward the union workers for doing the job that are providing the type of profits that we're seeing, but also maintaining a level of stability going into the future. So if this is Ford's kind of line, then then where does this leave these talks going forward for all of them, really? You know, I saw an interesting note today from Wells Fargo that said, you know, they felt like this was the most significant strike escalation that we've seen. And they're probably right. The, the uh, Probably the only... Uh, higher escalation would be taking out the powertrain plants, which that hasn't happened. So they really think that there could be a, a tentative agreement within the next week or two. And, mm. you know, I'm, I'm kind of thinking they could be right here. This is a, this is a big blow for Ford. And I think that they um, will, you know, they're going to detail just in a few minutes how significant this is going to be uh, the impact to their entire operation. So I think we'll see some movement for sure. Um, and eventually, uh, hopefully, I'm hoping, you know, we're we're almost at a month in and, yeah. you know, this could go a lot longer. They still have a very strong strike fund. Right. Um, we had 50,000 GM workers out in 2019 for 40 days. Yeah. And right now we just hit 34,000. Yeah, it, 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 is, it's, it feels like it's going to get worse before it gets better. Uh, Kaylee Hall, we'll catch up again very soon on this because this story obviously is far from over. Got to take a break. More of your calls and text next. I'd love to get your thoughts on this UAW situation. 800-859-0957. 800-859-0WJR. Because here's, here's my other line of thinking in this. I, I think that you see what General Motors did in adding EV battery plants. It's going to be union-made or, or union-supplied workforce. And if Ford isn't willing to take that step, and this is just speculation. I'm just trying to talk it out. Doesn't that put also a lot of pressure on Stellantis? Doesn't it also put a lot of pressure on those discussions? You know, Sean Fain said in that that video that they posted on X that Ford brought to the table the same the same offer that they made two weeks ago. And and I, I don't I actually don't know if that's true or not. I know Ford is updating uh, their situation. Uh, I think right now actually. But in the in in the in the effort to try to parse through all of this information, 
it feels like the way that Sean Fain lauded General Motors in taking that that step towards U, UAW workers and EV battery plants, the way that he made that a big deal on Friday, feels like that is a huge sticking point. Again, aside from all the 32 hours worked for 40 hours of pay, all that stuff, that's all negotiable. What may not be negotiable for the UAW is these battery plants or these the any production of the electric vehicle from bumper to bumper. So if that's the case, I think that puts a lot of pressure on Ford, and I think that puts a lot of pressure on Stellantis. And by the UAW taking the action that they made last night at the Kentucky truck plant, kind of tells me that maybe Ford isn't willing to move on that yet. Or it could be something completely different. But I, I, I just look at the way that Sean Fain, you know, showered GM with praises to a certain extent last Friday. And and now you went after one of the big facilities that makes a lot of money, billions and billions of dollars every year for Ford in revenue. Tells me that maybe Ford isn't isn't making that move. Yet, or maybe that's also a non-negotiable for Ford. 800-859-0957. What do you think? Craig in Dundee kicks us off. Hello, Craig. Hey, how are you, sir? I'm good. What can I do for you? You you touched on a real valid point in my position, or opinion. The, uh, you were talking about the battery plants with GM and then the, the ramifications to Ford. And that is spot on. And you mentioned the powertrain facilities, as they are now, likely will uh, require less employees, if any. That's, and in my opinion, that is something that I want to clarify. It's about, and I've been on both sides, UAW and management, for over 40 years. The uh, it's about revenue for solidarity homes when it comes to battery plants. Mm-hmm. If you're going to lose the powertrain side, you best darn have membership in the battery side. Otherwise, union dues aren't being paid to solidarity homes. No, and, 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 and Craig, it's not even about the dues. It's the member. There will be less UAW workers. Which means that the, the the union itself isn't as strong. There is they don't have that big of a power in the marketplace if if they're not involved. And again, this is just pure speculation. But if I read between the tea leaves and and look at the way Sean Fain showered GM on Friday, and they were going to go after one of GM's big whales, the Arlington plant, the Yukon, the Tahoe, the Escalade, all built there. All those all those vehicles make a boatload of money for General Motors. Here, in this case, the Kentucky truck plant is same thing. Twenty five billion dollars in revenue every year is produced from that plant. The Super Duty trucks, the F Series, the Expedition, and the Lincoln Navigator. And and if if the UAW told Ford, look, we need the battery plants. If you don't, we're going to start really twisting the knife. And if Ford didn't agree to that, whether it's now or yet, we'll see. Um, This, to me, is the union applying the pressure. Craig, uh, good stuff. Thank you. Dave in Rochester. Hello, David. 
Hey, Chris. Good afternoon. Hey. Uh, yeah, I got to hand it to Sean Fain. He uh, uh, threw out the old playbook. Totally. Uh, pattern, pattern bargaining. And uh, you can easily see what he's doing here now. Instead of going after the best overall contract by company, he's picking the components, the yeah. economic components, the non-economic components like the battery, although solidarity houses like economic, I guess you could say, for yeah. the overall unionship. But this is this is working fine. He, 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 remember, you got the COLA. He got, he got the initial COLA agreement from Ford, right? GM, the battery, master contract, inclusion. And I think uh, the economic issues, he'll, he'll, he'll piece them together. And when he gets to what uh, amounts to roughly an average 30% overall all-in rate increase, not just base, but the all-in rate with benefits, everything sure. considered, I think that's about the point where uh, – Plus, plus this critical battery thing, you put that together, and that's about where the uh, strike will end, I believe. And the second thing, one last thought. Mike Rogers was on uh, last week talking about the militant, we don't need the militant uh, voice of uh, Sean Payne. He forgets the fact over these last 15 years, we had a lot of UAW corruption, the leadership, okay? Yeah. So their membership doesn't want anyone who looks like they've been in any way, shape, or form, been corrupted by being too cozy, you know, it, with with either kickbacks or sure. or anything else. So, so the language that may appear to be a little too rough and a little too uh, militant, to use Mike Rogers' term. But guess what? He needs the support of his members. Yeah. And the last thing they want to hear is someone who is 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 weak and 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 even the whiff of any corruption or being too cozy with them. Well, Dave, and I don't know if you've seen the comment section of the UAW's Facebook Lives. Um, No. And and, and again, I I don't pretend to think that, you know, a few hundred comments equates to 100 and almost 50,000 UAW workers. But they are lapping up. They are buying completely what Sean Fain is selling. I mean, they are hook, line, and sinker. And and I think it's twofold. I think you hit on a good point. I think because of the corruption in the past, Sean Fain appears to be very much above board with these types of updates on the negotiations. I mean, there is more information coming out from Sean Fain himself in these updates than we have seen in negotiations in years past. And, and whether that's just been the way that the UAW and the big three have agreed to structure these negotiations, but he's blown all of that completely out the door. And so I think that when you see what the rank and file voted on to authorize a strike, if necessary, it was 97% voted in favor of it. I think that gave Sean, Sean Fain, the, the, the green light, to do exactly what he's doing now. He had damn near 100% of the rank-and-file support to go about and do exactly what he's doing now. He says he knows it's going to hurt, and he has said all the right things from, from his perspective, right, from the union perspective. If, if there is something that you want and you think it's worth fighting for, then you got to make the sacrifices. you got to go through the hard times and and... And you'll get what you're fighting for. 
So I, I think, no, I, I, act, I agree with you, Dave, completely. Sean Fain is doing exactly what, almost opposite in terms of transparency in my mind. Now, we don't know everything that's going on behind the scenes, but he's, he is updating the rank and file like we have not seen before. And I think that's refreshing to a lot of people, certainly refreshing to, to me, refreshing to a lot of folks in the media. And I think it's re- I think it's refreshing to 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 everybody who's got a stake in the game. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. And with these targeted strikes, they are doing a damn good job of saving a lot of that money in the strike fund. I mean, they, they really can make this hurt for a very long time. The autos, they've got their ability to to have that line of credit coming in and, and and keep things afloat, but for how long? And I think that's exactly what the UAW is thinking. 800-859-0957. Got to take a break. More of your calls, your texts. Coming up next here on JR Afternoon. 800-859-0957. Stormy roads ahead for the UAW and the Big Three. Let's get to a couple of texts before we get back to your calls. Brian, what do we got? Uh, someone in 586, you'll, you'll like this, Chris. He says, UAW is like a crying child. You don't give a crying child whatever he wants. The crying kid needs to keep crying until he learns that crying doesn't work. UAW are crybabies. Let them cry and pout. Do not give in to crybabies. Oof. All right, <laughs> except he, I, I'll counter your scenario with another. If that baby is your moneymaker, yeah. <laughs> if that baby is the only way that you make money, then maybe you need to to do something with the baby. I mean, it, I, I, I look. Sometimes it, babies cry for a reason. It's hard for me to go along with that analogy because I, I, I like this situation. I, I don't think anybody is happy. Like I'm not. Like I, yeah. look. I, I, I understand. I have a realistic viewpoint of these companies and the workers. I'm not mad that Mary Barra or Jim Farley make millions and millions of dollars. I don't, I'm not mad at that. I'm also not mad that workers want more. Right. I, 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 to me, both things can be true. The automakers are making a lot of money, thus are paying the big decision makers a lot of money because they hold a lot of responsibilities. And the people that are actually building the products want more money. I have no problem with that. And I saw this morning that they haven't had a raise since 2008 because they gave back money. Yeah, because yeah. they made concessions during right. the, 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 the recession. Uh, Steve from St. Clair Shore says the last time he saw the union so militant, it was during the American Axle strike. Mm. And we all know how that worked out. I, I think what the UAW is doing here is very effective. It is way more effective than saying, okay, Stellantis, you're our target. We're going to negotiate with you, and then we'll get this done. No, this is different. This is far more effective from a union perspective. And and it is, I, I think it is damaging to the automakers in the sense that you're going to have this bubble. You, We may not totally see it now, but you're going to have a bubble where you're, where you're not going to have as many vehicles in production on lots. And I think that's going to hurt the automaker. Is that it? We good there? Okay, cool. That's it. All right, let's go to Gary in Gross Point. Hello, Gary. Hi, uh, Chris. Good program. I just wanted to touch on this uh, strategy of the UAW. Mm -hmm. 
I will tell you, I went through three different uh, three-year contracts uh, back in the 80s, and I will tell you that the union workers that go out on strike will most likely never win back what they've lost as they've been out on strike, number one. Number two, the strategy of them trying to create damage and reputational uh, negative damage to the uh, big the, the uh, Detroit three is, is only adding reputational damage to the UAW, the Michigan marketplace, and the Midwest and every locale that has union workers in it. Because several times I was involved with site consultants making major decisions for non-U.S. companies coming in and investing in the U.S., and they purposely said to leave Michigan out of the list of qualified locations during their site selection. And furthermore, students and others who are looking for long-term careers are going to look to, to the industry and say, boy, they're still setting things back 20 years or so. These companies are going to be heading into bankruptcy again in another 15 years, 20 years, looking for government handouts. And I don't want to be a part of that industry. So they're going to have the the, cha- the talent challenge moving forward as well. I hope not. Uh, G- Gary, you paint a bare, very bleak picture. I hope that isn't the case. What what I will say is that I think from a, from a rank and file, from a worker perspective, yes, it's very difficult. It's very difficult being out of work and making what five hundred bucks a week. That's difficult. That's difficult because you're not you. First of all, you're not used to making that kind of money. You're used to making more money, and and so right off the rip, you're going to hurt economically. And and again, it, it it does hurt your company, the company that you work for long term. Sure, of course it does. But I, again, I think if you look at from from the perspective of of an auto worker, then they just want to get back to the the progression that they should have been on had they not given concessions back in two thousand and eight. Jeff in Ypsilanti, hello, Jeff. Hi, uh, I just want uh, I'm on the ground and I. And I, I work for these auto workers, and they cannot stay out on strike that long. They got their house up north. They got their two-car payments. They got their house payment. Uh, so they, they need to get back to work. That's going to help. Them are you are you talking about the rank and file or, or like the, the C-suite and, elect, the, uh, uh, the, workers? The rank and file. Uh, okay. Secondly, yeah. all the retirees that started at 18 and got out of there at 48 years old are bitter, unhappy, they still hate the whoever they work for, the big three, still complain about it. Lastly, these executives making all these millions, well, collectively add their wages up and then what they produce, which is billions, to mm-hmm. provide these good-paying jobs. Yeah. So if Spain can do it, he should have applied for the jobs. Thank you. All right, Jeff. I appreciate it. Look, I, I, I don't think those jobs are for – I couldn't be – Mary Barra, I couldn't do what Jeff Farley or Jim Farley does. I couldn't do it. No way. No way. You have to be a specific type of person to do that type of job. Lots of lots and lots of pressure. And and not only are you doing a job with lots of pressure, but you're about to usher your companies that have been doing things one way for decades. For decades. And now you're about to start going into a whole new world of vehicle production. No, that that's a very difficult job. I, I, I don't, I don't begrudge those people for making lots of money. And I don't even think Sean Fain has the, 
I, I don't and I, I don't know that Sean Fain thinks that he could do those jobs. But but Sean Fain is very effective as the president of the UAW, I can tell you that. 800-859-0957. Uh, Frank in Lincoln Park. Hello, Frank. Yeah, I just wondering if, you know, someone could run for the president of the United States and say, I would like to end the mandates on electric vehicles. You think he would get a, some votes? Do I think if one of the presidential candidates said that they're against EV mandates, would they get votes? Yeah. I think they'd probably lose votes, too. It and might I be a wash, Frank. Be, and I think it's going to be a hard thing for uh, Stellantis to tie in the battery because I think they're on a joint venture with Samsung, and Samsung is not going to, correct. you know. And that's why that's why I think the UA I, – I mean, look, from Ford's perspective, they're partnering with different companies, too. So you think those companies want to pay union wages? I don't know. I, I, I don't I, – but there's a reason they haven't gone that far yet. So, yeah, I, I think this is troubling on a lot of different fronts for, for both yeah, I've sides. I've worked for Chrysler for 29 years now, and for the last three contracts where the companies literally made billions, all we basically got back was the Monday after Easter. <laughs> yeah. Are you a UAW member, Frank? 29 years. What do you make of all this? Uh I think it's got to end soon. They got to, you know, yeah. you know, I mean, it's going to get, you can't let it get much worse, but yeah. I mean, the thing about it too is, you know, are, are you on strike, Frank? No, I still work at the Jefferson Mark plant. Okay. You know. Has there been any talk of, of that plant coming under strike yet? No, but you know, okay. you would think it would target a moneymaker like they sure. targeted, you know, Ford. Yep. All right, Frank, hold tight, bud. That's uh, I know it's a tough spot to be in. I, it's a long time, and not knowing when the end is in sight is is uh, probably not ideal either. All right, Frank, thank you. All right, we got to take a break. We'll get to more of your calls and texts coming up next. Also, give you an update on what's going on around the world. Three o'clock hour. Good to have you with us. We're talking, obviously, Israel, and we're talking the UAW. Let's start with what's happening in Israel. The Americans have come out, the United States, and said that the number of Americans killed in the Hamas terror attacks in Israel has gone up. We can now update the number of Americans that we know have been killed uh, to 27, and the number of unaccounted for stands today at 14. That is John Kirby with the National Security Council. Meanwhile, Secretary of State Antony Blinken in Israel meeting with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, also with the families of some of the Americans killed or taken hostage in that attack. Blinken reiterated at the presser today that the U.S. is doing everything that they can to secure the release of those hostages. Also talked about the United States and the Qatari governments agreeing to block that $6 billion in humanitarian aid from Iran uh, that was would have been granted following the prisoner swap between the Biden administration and Tehran last month. None of the funds that have now gone to Qatar have actually been spent or accessed in any way uh, by Iran. Indeed, funds from that account are overseen by the Treasury Department, can only be dispensed for humanitarian goods, food, medicine, medical equipment, and never 
touch Iranian hands. Meanwhile, in the upcoming days, Blinken says that there will be discussions going on to try to extract people from Gaza, citizens that want to get out. People with legitimate concerns for their safety will be able to to leave. But that plan has not yet been in place. And the humanitarian situation continues to be a real problem in Gaza because Israel, who provides electricity, fuel, water, all of the the necessary uh, either sustenance or utilities has been cut off in Gaza as a result of this terrorist attack. And so that has prompted the U.N. to come out and say that Israel and the people of Gaza have been under an unlawful blockade for 16 years and condemned the further tightening of this blockade, which is an interesting statement when you consider if you really felt that way for 16 years, why are you making a big deal of it now? It, it, it just kind of an interesting thing to say from a U.N. perspective. But there are uh, f- there are groups all across the world. And I think we, we talked about it earlier this week. One U.N. group has actually suspended funding to Gaza because of the attacks as they continue to assess the situation. Also, the UAW calling on eighty seven hundred workers at Ford's Kentucky truck plant to stand up, join the picket lines and now that that facility is part of the strike, bringing the total of some 34,000 UAW workers that are now on the picket lines. And that is a very important plant to Ford. They produce the F-Series Super Duty trucks, the Expedition, the Lincoln Navigator. And again, just based on what I've seen Sean Fain say last week, as it pertains to General Motors and their willingness to add their EV battery plants to the national agreement, kind of feels like maybe Ford isn't willing to take that step yet, and that's why the Kentucky plant was targeted. Because Sean Fain said that they were prepared to strike the Arlington plant, that's where the Tahoe's made, the Yukon's made, the Escalade is made, and until GM came to the table and said they're going to add their EV battery plant production to the national agreement, they were going to target that facility. So a huge moneymaker for GM was avoided and spared. In this case, Ford was a target. And again, strangely enough, didn't come on a Friday, keeping everybody on their toes, which is one of the things that that Sean Fain has talked about being an important part in all of this. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. We'll get back to your calls on the UAW situation momentarily, but this strike is now nearing the one-month mark, and there are fears that there will be additional walkouts in the next couple of days. And this surprise strike affects some of the best-selling vehicles Ford's got to offer. WJR senior news analyst Marie Osborne joins us with more that might be ahead. Hello, Marie. Hi, Chris. Yeah, let's fill in some of the uh, color here, if you will, on the big story with the UAW. So first, let's start with this. How painful is the shutdown of the Kentucky Ford plant? Well, Ford says the vehicles produced at that facility is the F-Series Super Duty, Ford Expedition, the Lincoln Navigator. They generate 25 billion dollars a year in revenue. Now Ford stands to lose roughly 30 million 
per day in profit with the truck plant on strike. That one plant walkout has idled 9,000 workers and shut down uh, and shown that the union really isn't afraid uh, to make some bold moves. By taking out the Kentucky truck plant, Ford could see the Louisville assembly plant and the Ohio assembly plant fold within the next couple of days since they rely on the truck plant for stamping and a lot of other things. This is according to one UAW local president. Ford called this move grossly irresponsible. What's the impact at the negotiating table? We don't know. Of course, that's being done in secret. But we do know that those talks are continuing. The actual negotiations continuing. Very little information coming out other than more work needs to be done. So what's happening next? Tomorrow, UAW President Sean Fain says he'll hold another Facebook live event. A live event. It'll be at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. We'll carry it for you here live on WJR. So these Friday updates in the past were where Fain was incrementally widening the strike footprint if he said the uh, talks weren't going in the right direction. But Wednesday's action is proving that he can do almost uh, anything at will. The strike, Chris, putting out over 25,000 auto workers on the picket line. Strike pay, we want to remind everybody from the UAW, $500 a week. Yeah, I just had somebody call in that said, it's just not enough. $500 a week is not enough. And and that's certainly the case. But, you know, going back to when the rank and file voted, 75% of people in the UAW agreed to a strike if it was necessary. So I think that gives Sean Fain a lot of power to operate in these types of ways when you've got the rank and file behind this type of action. Yeah, a lot of workers that you see interviews with or you see quoted in a lot of the media are saying that they're behind this, even though it's painful. This $500 a week is painful. Uh, They're willing to do it because they just see the big picture as being so vitally important, not just to the industry, but to their futures as well. Mm, Something we will continue to watch. Uh, Marie Osborne, thank you very much. Thank you, Chris. 800-859-0957. Let's try to fit a, a call in here real quick. Let's go to Pat and Fenton. Hello, Pat. Hello. I, I'm calling about the uh, uh, battery production plant mm-hmm. that, that UAW wants to be under their uh, supervision or so. Mm-hmm. so uh, I'm not quite sure that's the direction we want to go. I mean, we, that's, that's going off in a whole different direction because we've never represented people who produce the uh, fuel for a vehicle. And the battery is the fuel, and that's a whole different direction. We don't represent we don't represent people who produce gasoline or uh, the lead acid batteries or uh, propane or hydrogen, any other fuel. And I'm not sure if we want to put an emphasis on making this part of our uh, a, a, a part of the contract. Yeah, Pat, are you a part of the UAW? Are you a union member? Uh, yeah, well, I'm retired. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so do you do you think that this is kind of the, I mean, just based on where the industry is going, if it continues on this trajectory, do you feel like, because I've maintained that this kind of is, that has to be the future of the UAW. It's going to take roughly 40% less workers to build these cars. So if the UAW wants to be a, 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 a viable union, they need to find ways to fit themselves inside the new framework of electric vehicle production do, do you feel like the UAW could continue to operate if they don't have this type of, of influence in the production of EVs? Uh, well, it would be nice if we could get these uh, 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 battery plants under the, uh, super, or the, uh, under the UAW. 
Sure. Uh, but uh, it's, it's not, it shouldn't be a big priority of ours. Interesting. All right, uh, Pat, I appreciate the call. Thank you very much. 800-859-0957. We'll continue with your calls and texts on the other side. also want to add this into the mix. With this conflict unfolding in Israel, this war, how do you talk to your kids, your grandkids about it? Because it is all over social media. It is all over television. It's very hard to avoid. So if you've got kids, if you've got little kids, if you've got teenagers, preteens, how do you address it with them? We'll talk about that next on JR Afternoon. All right, if you want to weigh in on the UAW situation, we've been talking about it. Big news to to today, really last night, UAW targeting the Kentucky truck plant, Ford Motor Company, 8,700 workers joining the picket lines. What does that mean uh, we've been talking a little bit about it. If you missed any of our conversations, thegreatvoice.com will have everything there for you. But if you want to weigh in on the situation, 800-859-0957. When these types of situations break and unfold and develop like they are in Israel, in Gaza, in the Middle East, it's almost impossible to avoid. Whether you're watching the news at home, whether you're on social media, it can be it can be daunting when you've got when you've got kids around, when you've got your kids, your grandkids, your nieces, your nephews. It can be very difficult broaching this kind of 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 topics with with kids of any age. But I think that's where a lot of families find themselves trying to navigate this and how difficult it really is. And so when we, when you approach your kids, when you, when you want to inform them, it is vital that you do it in an appropriate way. Mickey Frank is the assistant executive director of family programs at the J and joins us. Mickey, good to have you. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Chris. Talk to me a little bit about how important or, or unimportant in some cases, maybe depending on the age of, of, of the kids. When is it appropriate to keep them in the loop? When is it appropriate to shield them from some of, of this information? Well, in the program that we ran yesterday, um, really, like you said at the top, um, a lot of parents and grandparents really, really struggling right now um, asked us to put on this program. And um, to be honest, what we did was we brought in our partner that is really who we consider to be the expert in this area, Jewish Family Service. Their social workers came to our program. And what I learned in that program is that it's really important to be having conversations with children of all ages. Um, and with children maybe under three or four, they recommended just to note whether they are being exposed at all. Um, maybe they have an older sibling. So those are the things you wanna consider, but definitely for children over three that you know are probably seeing something somewhere, having some sort of conversation is ideal. And I, I think it's probably best not to get into the nitty gritty and not provide some of the graphic details that are there. But 
But there are ways, right, to to bring difficult subjects to kids and do them in a way that they can maybe relate with. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think one of the number one takeaways I had from our session was that children will respond differently, develop based on their developmental stage and their unique personal experience. So you just really want to take that into consideration. With uh, uh, younger elementary age children, uh, you want to answer questions simply without extensive details, balance it with reassurance that they're loved and that they're safe and protected. Um, Then when you get into upper elementary, early middle school, obviously they're being exposed to a little more. Um, You really want to start by asking them what, if anything, they know about the event. It's important to remember that we can't assume that children know what we know and are worried about what we're worried about. So it's important to start there. And then last, with the upper middle school, high school, and plus age demographic, clearly these are queens, teens that are really plugged into the world. But again, the recommendation is starting with where they are and what they know, asking them what they know, how they feel about that. And the primary goal there is to really be open with your child, not try to fix anything, and just be there as a support for them. Well, I think you brought up something so important. And, and you know, I've got a five-year-old and an almost two-year-old. And so if I'm upset or anxious, they feel it. And they they sometimes yeah. can take on those feelings, too. If I'm happy and upbeat, they certainly get that as well. And so uh, making sure that as a parent, no matter how you're affected by this situation, um, having a, 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 the, the front that you put on for your kids, especially little kids, has to be very important. Absolutely, yes. And you hit on a point that was um, that was touched on yesterday, which is that not only is it important for parents, yes, to provide this level of comfort with their own sort of presence, but also it's critical that parents and grandparents are doing the best to actually take care of themselves and really try their best, although it's very difficult right now, to try to find the support they need. Um, And whether that's, you know, trying to put more exercise in, seeing friends, you know, um, journaling, anything that's, you know, everyone's unique and everyone responds differently to different things. But whatever that is for you, that you can dig into to try to help yourself so that you can take care of yourself and then be able to then take care of the children in your life. Yeah, I think it's very important. Uh, Mickey Frank, thank you so much uh, for the insight. I think that's good advice for a lot of people out there struggling, uh, who especially have the little ones or, uh, you know, those in the household that are dialed into social media or the news. I think it's really good advice. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you so much for having me. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Certainly that's a, a, a tough situation for for a lot of families uh, right now. And and I, I, I think to a certain extent, too, it can be good to shield, I think, your, your, your kids if they're not dialed in, if they're not aware. You know, I think there's something to be said. Maybe this isn't something that you need to worry them with. I think there's a lot of burden in the world, especially in their world that they carry, that they don't they don't need to be bothered with this. 
Brian, you've got um, some. You've got grandkids. Unless they ask you in, about. In, oh, then yeah. I think you got to know how to approach. How it. how is uh, your your son handled this uh, out out in in? Amsterdam? I honestly think because uh, the oldest is nine. I believe they probably haven't talked about it. I haven't talked to him about this. You don't this think they've talked about it? No, no. They don't watch a lot of news. Okay. I mean, he does, but the the boys the boys don't. Are right. So I don't think. I, and I, you know, Evan's really good about this. It it would be. Though really hard it's to heavy. talk about, yeah, it's heavy, especially you know when you're nine years old and you don't know if you don't if you don't have it's like well in 1948 here's right. what, like you know yeah. what I mean they're like what so I think there's a there's a level of bringing it down to their level but if they're not if they're not aware just leave them alone I don't right. know that we need to talk about it now no. now maybe there are Jewish families that feel. Yes. It's important. That would be different. Right? Or yes. if there are Palestinian right. families that right. feel it's important. Right. I, I think that's different. I, yeah. I think I think if you're not in a group that's like directly affected family-wise. But even wise, still, I can make the argument, uh, maybe you don't even do it right now if they're little and they're not aware. Yeah. Sometimes you know, the ignorance uh, is bliss and you want to keep how, that innocence for as long as yeah, possible. Yeah. How early do you want to make the world a scary place for your kids? Yeah. Right. That's, that's a great way to put know, it. That's a great way to put it. It's a scary enough place. Let's, you're right. Let them, be, let them enjoy it while they can. Yeah. Well, I, I think that even having the semblance of an idea of how to broach it, I think, is a is a good one. I mean, I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's, it's really unfortunate. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. I want to play you a piece from, from WJR Mornings, JR Mornings, uh, that they had today. We'll do that next. Also, continue on with your calls on the UAW here on JR Afternoon as we continue right here on WJR. Don't go anywhere. As we continue to follow the situation un- unfolding in Israel, Guy Gordon, Jamie Edmonds, Lloyd Jackson, really insightful interview this morning with Elliot Abrams, a senior fellow for Middle East Studies at the Council on Foreign Relations, also a former U.S. Deputy National Security Advisor under President George W. Bush. I thought it was so good. Wanted to give you a taste of what was said in this interview. Listen here. We keep hearing these reports out there that um, that I- Iran uh, was blindsided by this, uh, that they they weren't aware that Hamas uh, was up to this. Do you believe those reports? Nope. Nope. Hamas couldn't do this without Iran. I mean, Iran is the main source of money and weapons and maybe even more important of planning, you know, of sophistication and how you go about this kind of murder. This could not have happened without Iranian support. There have been meetings all year in Beirut between Hezbollah and Iran and Hamas leaderships. So I just don't believe that it doesn't make sense. And I think, you know, we'll find the intelligence someday, whether it's in a week or a month or a year. How do you how do you believe that they were able to do this so under the radar where they were able to have these paragliders come in and, and, and all of this and, and and the intelligence wasn't there? Well, it's a couple of things. Uh, it was a great intelligence failure, obviously, by the Israelis and by us, because we also watch Gaza pretty carefully. And they found nothing. We found nothing. So, first of all, Hamas did a great job uh, at hiding it. The other problem, though, is you know what the Israelis are calling the, the conception. Why didn't we connect the dots on 9-11? just never occurred to anybody that these backward guys from al-Qaeda could, could get control of planes and fly them into the World Trade Center. 
1973, it didn't occur to the Israelis that the Arabs, who they beat so badly in 67, could possibly want another war. And in this case, everybody believed, I also believed it, the Israeli uh, military believed it. Hamas wanted violence and terrorism in the West Bank. But at home in Gaza, you know, which it had to govern, it wanted calm. It wanted stability. It was very pleased when Israel let thousands of Gazans come into Israel to work. It was worried about the electricity supply. Well, that turns out to be false. I mean, it's a ruse on the part of Hamas while they're planning these attacks. They wanted us all to think they were going to be responsible about Gaza. All the while, they're just planning on better ways to kill Jews and kill Israelis. Mr. Abrams, your background, you know how deeply complicated this is going to be moving forward if ground troops go in there trying to save hostages with the way it's so densely populated. I mean, how hard is it going to be to try and save these people? Also, there's this humanitarian effort that's going to begin. It's very, very hard. But, I mean, I'd ask you a question when it comes to the humanitarian effort, which is how much food did we ship to Germany during World War II? How much food did we ship to Japan? I mean, when you're in a war, you have to fight and win the war. I think in the case of Israel here, they're going to fight this war as if there were no hostages, because that's the only way they can fight it. And at the end of the war, I mean, they'll try to rescue hostages during the war. And at the end of the war, there'll be a negotiation for the release of hostages. Uh, there is talk now of a humanitarian corridor going down to Egypt. That's a very good idea to let uh, injured people come out um, and get medical attention in Egypt. People always say, you know, uh, Gaza is completely blockaded by Israel, but there's a there's a border with Egypt. So Has that's it, a good hasn't idea. Egypt come out and said they won't allow that? They have said they will not allow massive population movements. Like they won't allow, you know, 250,000 people. Mm to move down into Egypt. But they, if we're talking about thousands of people, they have said they would permit that. You know, you ask an interesting question because after the 1967 war, the prime minister of Israel, Menachem Begin, asked President Sadat of Egypt to take Gaza back. They didn't want it. And it, though they, he said no. So they governed it from 1967 to 2005, and then they got out. And the Palestinian Authority ruled it from 2005 to 2007 when it was kicked out by Hamas. But there, there should be a humanitarian corridor. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, let me give you a positive, one positive on this. These bloody murderers from Hamas are running Gaza. And the people of Gaza have no way of getting out from under this tyranny, this savagery, except maybe if the Israelis crush Hamas. And in that sense, liberate Gaza from Hamas, and maybe the people of Gaza get another chance at some kind of independent life without Hamas. All right. Thank you, uh, Guy, Jamie, and and Lloyd. It, it is interesting. And, and again, today we're hearing about the money that was that $6 billion that we didn't know if it was unfrozen or if it was still frozen or if if Iran was, was going to get their, their mitts on it. But now we've got Secretary of State Anthony Blinken. He's in Israel, and he says between the United States government, the Qatari government, that that, that money is not unfrozen and they will not be unfreezing it, which, which might lead to further fears that 
maybe Iran is going to be a little more emboldened here. But that's a, a, another topic for another day. 800-859-0957. I want to get back to your phone calls. Uh, the UAW stuff's been hot today, so we're going to continue on with it. The UAW making a surprise decision yesterday to strike the Kentucky truck plant for Ford Motor Company. 8,700 workers now joining the picket lines, and they make a lot of big money makers there. The F-Series Super Duty Trucks, the Ford Expedition, the Lincoln Navigator, they, they, they bring in in revenue every year about $25 billion from those vehicles. What do you make of it? 800-859-0957. Let's go to Justin in Westland. Hello, Justin. Hey, how are you doing today? I'm good. I apologize for making you hold so long. What do you got? Oh, that's all right. I was just enjoying the show, Chris. Thanks. What what, what can I do for you? Well, uh, you had a caller say that, you know, they should people should just sign up for the CEO job, and I find that Yeah, I think they said that if 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 Sean Fain thought it was so easy or something to that effect that he should apply for the job. Well, you know, that's one job of thousands. Yeah. You know, it's, there's only one coach in the football team, and, and it takes a lot of people to make that company work. And I, I think that kind of belittled the situation a little bit. Yeah, uh, I, I, I hear you. I, I think the, the thing for me is I, I, I can separate these issues. Like, whether or not the CEOs of these companies make millions of dollars is inconsequential to me. That's that's what the going rate is. And 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 on the other side, the UAW rank and file, they want more. I, I can't fault them for that either. They're two different issues for me. And there's another thing I'd like to touch on that I was thinking about that you guys haven't really talked about. Is one of the reasons, well, in my view, one of the reasons that they would try to get the battery plants on board is just to job protection. Yes. Uh, these workers, if they close a facility, they go on something called an ILO, which is an acronym for indefinite layoff, and they go into a job pool for when these facilities open up or need mm-hmm. people, they can transfer these laborers who are out of work into a job. So there, a lot of that has to do with job protection as well, besides just keeping you know, money to the solidarity house, as I kept hearing them say. Justin, I think you're exactly right. And and I have talked about that extensively. I feel that the UAW looks at, at the the transition to electrification and says, if we want to continue to be a robust union, if we want to continue to maintain the power that we currently have, we need to have a stake in these battery plants. And and if they want to continue to to maintain the level of influence, if they want to continue to have robust uh, 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 members in the union, they have to have a role in these EV battery plants. It's it's a must. And that's why I think when Sean Fain came out last Friday and, and showered GM with praise to a certain extent, it was because they've agreed to bring union members into those facilities, into those factories. And that's not something that Stellantis and Ford have yet to do. 800-859-0957. All right, I got to take a break. Uh, We'll come back. Big night tonight. Red Wings start their 2023 campaign. We'll talk to Steve Courtney right here on JR Afternoon. Very exciting night. I, as much as I love college football and I love, I love, uh, you know, pro football, NFL. I, I love hockey. 
And there is, to me, nothing better than playoff hockey. And when oh, you start, no doubt. when you when when the when the Red Wings of the '90s going into the 2000s were were just dominant, there is nothing better, except maybe what the Lions are doing now. But uh, it's a very exciting sport when your team is good. When your team isn't, <laughs> well, it can be difficult. <laughs> and you know what? Here's the deal. Steve uh, Courtney, by the way, for all those who don't hello know. again, everybody. <laughs> We here in Hockey Town were spoiled for a long time. Uh, it doesn't seem like all that long ago, but then again, maybe it does. Uh, 25 straight years in the NHL's postseason. The last one, I'll remind you, uh, was in former head coach Jeff Blaschel's first season. Uh, since then, things have gone south a little bit. As a matter of fact, uh, the drought is now at seven years. So, Well, that falls hard. Oh, that's a long, yeah, hard fall. And uh, it has not been fun. No. Uh, but listen, El Capitan, number 19, number 19, Stevie Eiserman. He became general manager, you would call, back on April 19th of 2019. How ironic is that? Anyway, I digress. Uh, at that particular point in time, the pantry was empty. And you remember, Chris, a year ago, the uh, winged wheelers were flirting with the postseason as late as February. Then they go to Ottawa for back-to-back games. And right around the trade deadline. Yeah, and they lose both. And Steve Eisenman said it was at that time that he said, look, I've got some work to do. Yeah. So what does he do? He goes out and brings aboard the likes of Alex DeBrinkett, a legitimate goal scorer, uh, Shane Gostabriere, uh, ditto. Uh, also Jeff Petrie. I think this is one of the more interesting off-season acquisitions. Shore up that defense. Uh, Daniel Sprong and, of course, uh, J.T. Comfort, who won a uh, Stanley Cup in 2022. Anyway, uh, the thought is this. Uh, you've got the likes of Dylan Larkin, uh, the captain. A year ago, he was trying to figure out if he was going to remain a Red Wing, and mm-hmm. he gets the deal he was looking for. Uh, you also got uh, the likes of David Perrone, and, uh, you know, guys who have been around. And Derek Lalonde, the fine head coach of the Wings, going into his second season, said it best. Look, you know, if you've been around this for a while and then you get some added talent, it makes you a little bit more excited about going to the office. A lot of emphasis leading up to the regular season opener tonight uh, placed on special teams. Uh, Red Wings ranked 17th in the league last year with a 21.1% success rate, Chris, on the power play. As far as the penalty kill goes, they were at a 78.3 success rate. That was 18th in the league last year. Uh, so, you know, I think it's heading in the right direction. But Eiserman himself said, look, going into this season, it's not a playoff or bust season. You know, obviously that's where we want to be. Uh, and I think... That's the proper way to look at things here. Let these guys on the ice figure it out. Maybe it's going to take a little bit of time to find the chemistry with so many new faces. I think just about half the roster has changed from a year ago. But, you know, at some point, we have to to consider that a standard. We have to push this thing forward. And I I believe this team is going to take a step forward this year. I think the Debrinket signing is a big one. I think bringing in Petrie's a big deal. And I think, again, those are veteran guys that have been around the league, that have accomplished something, that have been around good teams. And I think when you when you bring that level of, of 
of talent, of experience, and it's going to help you. And I, I, I think a lot of Derek Lalonde. I think he's a really good head coach, and I think when you partner all of that together, and here's the other thing. Dylan Larkin's going to have to take another step. He has to he take will, another step because he's got a better support staff around him. Fair enough, but I you gotta you need to be, you need to really when you're out there on the ice, people need to know you're out there. Um, and he's shown signs of that, but it's not consistent. I'm also excited about Billy Husa uh, in yeah. his second year as a uh, wing wheeler between the pipes. Uh, save percentage of ninety percent a year ago. Goals against a a little over three, and mm-hmm. uh, I think. Uh, uh, he showed at times last season, can stand on his head and be a formidable force there. So uh, Red Wings getting it going tonight in Jersey. Uh, 7.30 is the tar- uh, start time. It will not be televised on Bally Sports Detroit. Uh, it will be on e- ESPN Plus and Hulu. I said Hulu. Hulu. Okay. I don't Great. even know if I've got Hulu. You know who's going to be dialed in? Ken Brown. Oh, yeah. Dialed in. Exactly. Ready to go. Yeah. Especially hey. now that the Murder, She Wrote marathon is over. Right. When I was coming up, every game wasn't on TV. You listened to the radio, WJR, mm-hmm. or you just read the paper the next day. So all of you youngsters out there that, oh, a game's not on regular TV. I can't, I can't live without it being on something I can watch. Go back to when we used to come in, Courtney. Oh, yeah. I, oh, yeah. I dislike the fact that ESPN gets the rights back last year, and they're putting games on ESPN+. Plus. Well, I don't love know, that. It's all upside down right now. Uh, with all, can these... we not put games exclusively on streaming platforms? Well, n- nobody knows it better than Kenny. Uh, when the Thursday night NFL game went to Amazon, yeah, I mean, hey, terrible. He, hey, terrible. he was he he started sobbing. Yes, terrible. Also, the broadcast crew is not my favorite. By the way, well, who who who's a, who's the crew? Al, uh, Michaels. Al Michaels and Kirk Hurst. Oh, you mean on the football? Oh, on yeah. on that's, Prime. Yeah. That's Al Michaels' retirement package. You well, know, I mean, that's what he they, they got him for a name. You know, the fastball's been gone for a couple of years. Yeah, okay, fair okay? enough. Yeah, fair enough. That's just a name. You remember, you know. Listen, did you hear what I said? I don't know if I have Hulu. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got Hulu. I have no idea. <laughs> I got everything, unfortunately. Those kids make sure yeah, you got make it sure all. You, get every you have to pay for Hulu? Yeah. Remember how cutting the cord was going to be less expensive? Yeah, okay, remember that, yeah. Remember that joke yeah. a couple and then, years ago? And then you buy them, and they're yeah. like, oh, by the way, yeah. we're raising it $45 No, this no, that's what they get you. We'll give you six months free. Yeah. And then, it, and then you But forget. they won't tell you. Right. No. They won't tell you when that you six for, months is over. They you've got to go on and, re- and, and, exactly. and delete it yourself. Here's a question. Whatever happened to the simpler times, and you could put some aluminum foil on the rabbit ears and bring in Channel 9. <laughs> that's right. Or go over to Canada and get that on TV box and put it on your TV. I, do, I still love Hockey Night in Canada. Oh, you better believe it's it. It's still one of the best things around. Yeah. Shout out to Barry Melrose, too, I guess, who was retired because of Parkinson's. Yeah, that's a shame. Retired. Great guy. Yeah. Great broadcaster. Been around the league a long time. Yeah. Player, coach, Good luck. analyst. Right. Wish him well. What do we have coming up today? Uh, we're going to talk more about the uh, Israel situation. We're going to talk about the uh, lack of a Speaker of the House and what's going on. And will anybody be able to get the required votes? We're going to do our movie segment for the week. They're going to get Scalise will get the votes. I don't know now. He's got to get the votes. Here's what they're doing that they're smart about doing that they didn't do before is they're going to have these closed door meetings to hash it out because what they can't do is do what they did with Kevin McCarthy out in public. Okay. They cannot do that anymore. They can't do that. But are you sure you want to put in charge a guy who was going to white nationalism? It doesn't matter. Oh, it does matter. 
It doesn't it matter, does matter at this point. It, if you, you need somebody in leadership. But I'm just saying, if you, your leader's going to be one who's going to white nationalist conferences and speaking at them, you think that's who they want to be leader, the moderates in the Republican Party? You think they're going to put him in charge? Hey, did we ever find out how in the hell Matt Gates lined up the support to get this ball rolling? He only the, needed a couple votes. Uh, if, that's, dude, how, that's how razor thin the margins are. Ugh. I know. I, I mean, I, I talked to Tim Wahlberg last week, and he was like, we don't even need him. Screw him. Like, they, they don't want anything to do with him in the Republican Party because he's, they screwed him, basically. Oh, it's about time. Yeah. All right, Mitch Album and the crew coming up next. It's going to do it for us today. We will see you tomorrow, Friday, here on JR Afternoon. Have a good one.